Hello, everyone. My name is Wesley Levesay from the History of the Second World War podcast. Join me on a journey through the most destructive conflict in human history, a journey that will take us not just through the famous campaigns and cataclysmic battles, but also to the lesser well-known corners of the war that touched millions all over the world, as we try and answer not just the questions of what and where, but how and why. You can find History of the Second World War on all major podcast platforms or at historyofthesecondworldwar.com. Hello. And welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents, where we take deeply researched, deeply irreverent dives into American history, often presidentially, sometimes loosely. I'm Howard Dory. And I'm Jess Dory. And we are excited to be continuing season four. We're back. Yes, we spent a little time with COVID, the flu, a concussion, two birthdays, multiple ear infections, every episode of Ted Lasso to date. And <laughs> it's all a blur, but we're alive and well, and we're happy to be back. Yes. And I am so excited about our topic today. And I never thought I would say that about anything to do with possums. Possums are disgusting. They're so gross. They look like little skin creatures, especially their mouth. I understand you may have some personal feelings about possums. And I'm going to ask you to keep those personal for now. Why? Just hold your disgust until the end. I, you know I'm not good at that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Be, be yourself. I don't want to constrain yeah, you. Yeah, let me be free. Don't <laughs> hold me back. I won't hold you back. Let it out. Okay, well, that's how I feel about possums. All right. But I do remember on one of our nebulous dates when we were in the friend zone, but kind of dating. Oh, yeah. I do remember trying to sound like um, correct mm. and said, a possum. Have you ever seen a, a possum? And you were like... I mean, let's just call them possums. We're all adult here, right? I do remember. <laughs> do you remember that? that? Yes, yes. And that just made me like you a lot. Wow. I'm, I'm, maybe that's that changed everything, I guess. That was it. That, that must have been <laughs> it. That must have been it. In our last episode, we talked about how the teddy bear relationship to Teddy Roosevelt, it started out with a big event in the South and a political cartoon. And that's exactly how today's subject, the Billy Possum, was born with Roosevelt's handpicked successor, William Howard Taft, except it wasn't a bear hunt. It was a banquet that would be touted as the most successful banquet ever held in the South. So this is like the teddy bear episode? <laughs> this is... It's like a repeat, but with like a little little plot changes. A repeat? How dare you? <laughs> what this is, let me tell you. I mean, it just is. seems similar. If, if you want to, if you need to conceptualize what we're doing in this moment and why we're here. I do. Um, originally, I was going to do one episode that was going to be the teddy bear versus the Billy Possum. I see. But I fell down a rabbit hole of information about both of those and decided mm -hmm. that they each needed their own episode. You know, that sounds fair. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to dig into today. The rise and fall of the Billy Possum, the successor to the teddy bear that for some reason just couldn't achieve the same level of popularity as the teddy. We're going to look at the story behind this possum and the bizarre efforts to promote it. And we're going to try to solve the mystery of why kids today don't cuddle up at night with their beloved Billy Possums. Because possums are, are disgusting, except the babies are kind of cute, how they cling to their moms. But the second they like open their beady eyes and hiss and show me their gross mouths, I'm just done. Hmm. This is a story in three acts. Act one is life, liberty, and the pursuit of possums. Ew. So 
This all started out with a glorious banquet, but before we get to that, I need to give you a little background. Okay. So we're going to talk about William Howard Taft. Mm-hmm. He had just been elected president, the 27th president of the United States. He was Teddy Roosevelt's hand-picked successor. I don't know anything about Taft. A lot of people, the only thing they think of when they think of Taft is they think, oh, that's the guy that got stuck in the bathtub. I didn't even know that. I didn't know he was the successor. Well, it's not true. The story about the bathtub, that's apocryphal. He was the biggest president yet at more than 300 pounds during his presidency. And he liked big baths. But that doesn't really come into play here. But his appetite does play a part. Mm. And so does his personality. So Teddy Roosevelt said that Taft had the most lovable personality that he'd ever come into contact with. Taft was popular, maybe not a great leader, but he had a famously infectious smile and the ability to get along with anyone. That's great. Yes, except that's what gave the white power holders in the South hope when Taft was elected. I don't like that. Because even though the white population of the South, they had voted overwhelmingly for the other party, the Democratic Party, Mm -hmm. they were still excited to see Roosevelt go. And they were hoping that Taft might not crack down on their insistence to govern themselves and, you know, without the federal government messing with their efforts to, you know, uphold white supremacy. Gross. But on the other hand, he didn't have Roosevelt's strong opinion on race suicide. Do you remember that idea that, you know, white people, they weren't breeding enough and their race was going to go away. Like if little girls didn't have baby dolls, then the race was doomed. Oh, right. Yeah. So that wasn't Taft. Taft actually was telling young college women that they didn't even need to get married or have babies if they didn't want to. And that was pretty radical. Wow. And that's an interesting part of this time period and the story of the Billy Possum Because we see more women in the public sphere as entrepreneurs, actors, writers. Women were becoming more financially independent and Mm. doing things that men traditionally did, including being terrible. (sighs) But let's get back to Georgia. In the cold winter after the election, but before his inauguration, President-elect Taft went down to Augusta, Georgia for a little vacation and some nice weather perfect for one of his favorite activities. Georgia... Favorite activities, like river boating, (laughs) you know, with the big fan in the back. Oh, airboats. Airboat. Yeah. You mean he was like looking for gators on an airboat? Yeah, he wanted to go airboating. Yeah, no, that wasn't wasn't it. No. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, that was my guess. That's a good guess. That's a good... Is it? It's a guess. Um, (laughs) Golfing. Golfing. He loved golfing. And this gave the state of Georgia a lot of opportunities to entertain him and show him the true meaning of Southern hospitality. So the Atlanta Chamber of Commerce, they asked him to be the guest of honor at a banquet in January of 1909, and he accepted. The newspaper, the Atlanta Constitution, reported that Taft was asked if he had any suggestions for the event. This is his response. Just one, replied the big Ohioan, with the inclusive smile that has solved many a diplomatic muddle. I've had a lifetime longing to taste possum and taters. My visit to the South would be incomplete unless this wish is realized. Would it be possible for you gentlemen to indulge me in this respect? Wow. Yeah. These rich white men and their their requests. You know. I want the best bear hunt. I want to be the one to catch the bear. I want to eat possums. This humble little request to feast on a marsupial made this banquet famous even before it happened. So newspapers put out the call for anyone who could deliver 100 large, fat, and tender possums for Taft's dinner. 
and responses came pouring in from all over. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm just so grossed out. <laughs> that first day the possum dinner was mentioned, New Year's Day 1909, that was when the first of a series of cartoons ran that alluded to this possum dinner. They were by a cartoonist for the Atlanta Constitution, Lewis Crumley Gregg. In the first one, a possum is seen cowering at the top of a tree, and a turtle, Greg's signature character that pops up in a lot of his stuff, is yelling, Come down, old possum! Mr. Taft wants you! Ew. And that was just the beginning. So a man in Worth County, Georgia, Judge Frank Park, he won the contract to supply the 100 possums. With only a week to go until the dinner... Wow, that's not a lot of time to find 100 possums. No. Worth County became a war zone with teams hired to capture these possums. It was called the world's greatest possum hunt, and it was said that everyone in the county was thinking only of life, liberty, and the pursuit of possums. Oh, gosh. I can't imagine eating anything with a rodent tail. I just can't. Huh. Interesting. I see see what you're saying. Judge Park managed to get a massive 24-pound possum that he said would be the piece de resistance of the dinner. Park said that when he first saw this stud marsupial, he thought of Taft, our great proportioned friend, and he thought they would be two of a kind at that possum supper. Oh my gosh. He even wondered if both were to meet each other in the Stone Age, which would eat the other? Ew. So January 15th comes, the banquet. Atlanta pulled out all the stops. 600 tickets were sold to the dinner for $10 each, and it was called the most brilliant and at the same time, the most unique banquet ever given a national figure. There were long tables within this banquet room that formed a giant U.S. flag. Wow. They were de- that takes some thought. Oh, my God. They were decorated with, with vases of American Beauty roses. And there were crepe paper roses, one in front of each place setting with a light bulb in it. And behind Taft's table against the wall was another huge U.S. flag made up entirely of electric lights that flashed in a way that made it look like the flag was fluttering and then revealed an enormous photograph of Taft. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how they pulled this, this off is, in 1909. I know. This is, seems advanced this for is the year. <laughs> the art. Yeah. And did they get any return or profit on this? Because it sounds like they put a lot of money into it, but then $10 a ticket doesn't sound very high. The return they got on it is, <laughs> might be disturbing, actually. Oh, gosh. Is this going to be like the Red Wedding? Um, no. Okay. That would be something. Yeah. Where the possums like slaughter everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> The menu consisted of not just barbecued possum with persimmon sauce and sweet potatoes, but wild turkey, quail, turtle soup made from one 250-pound green turtle. Oh, my gosh. And more. The Associated Press reported that there was only a shattered wreck remaining of the 18-pound billy possum that was toted up to Mr. Taft's table. Oh. I, I feel they may have embellished this a bit. They said that after several helpings to the dish... Mr. Taft received a message from a doctor sitting nearby to be careful, but he paid no attention to the warning. <laughs> I can't imagine that actually happened. Like a doctor, just be careful. Slow down, sir. Exactly, yes. Slow down. He's, look at the way he's eating that possum. He's got to be stopped. Um, maybe maybe it happened, but not at the dinner. I, I don't know. Maybe the doctor wrote him later saying, I saw how you were going out that <laughs> possum. And I just want you to know you should be careful. Maybe. I mean, this was written like the next day. So it's either a reporter making stuff up. I don't know. I don't know. 
Um, but even if Taff was eating so voraciously that medical intervention was required, <laughs> that would not be the most disturbing thing that happened at that banquet. I'm scared. Does one of the possums come alive? No. Okay. This isn't that kind of story. It comes alive and hisses. Next week. No. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time they were just playing possum. No. God. Um, there, was, there was a stringed orchestra and sermons and songs. And I quote, a quaint program of old-time Negro songs illustrating the primitive life and tastes of slavery days sung as solos by preachers, doctors, and judges. <sighs> Vomit. So a bunch of rich white men basically putting on a minstrel show. Yes, that's sickening. Yeah, but Taft, he ate it all up, the entertainment and the food. When he made his remarks toward the end of the night, he said that he was criticized by some for coming to the South. They said that he was trying to win it over. He said that instead, he had been won over by it. And the most important thing Taft said, the return on their investment, the thing the Southerners wanted to hear the most, was Taft's pledge to only appoint people to federal positions in the South if they were in good standing with the citizens where they lived. That's code for, you don't have to worry about me appointing any black people like my predecessor did. Got it. Yeah. So he's, he's very confusing. Yeah, a lot of folks back then were had, had some contradictory ideas. Yeah, I can't tell if it's hypocrisy or if he's just not willing to rock any boats. Or I think that's a big part of it, yeah. Um, then at the end of the evening, he was presented with a new toy made of cloth by Miss Willie Taylor. It was a toy possum named Billy Possum, successor of Teddy Bear. The Atlanta that Const- was its full name. That's what they called it. Okay. The Atlanta Constitution said it was some minutes before the laugh which this had caused entirely subsided. So this was a big joke. The idea of a stuffed toy, Billy Possum. Replacing a teddy bear. Was a joke. It got okay. a lot of laughs. Okay. Um, it and, was funny and disgusting. Yeah, and it was actually, it was inspired by a comic that Lewis Gregg had drawn five days earlier that showed this Billy Possum being presented instead of a teddy bear as a present <laughs> and saying it was a successor. Okay. From the political cartoon to the reaction of the audience at the banquet, it's fairly obvious that this idea of a stuffed Billy Possum replacing the teddy bear was funny. Right. It was a joke. Why did some people take it very, very, very seriously? <laughs> a few people took it seriously enough to see it as a real opportunity. No one more than Mrs. Susie W. Allgood, the driving force behind the Billy Possum. And that brings us to Act Two, Promoting the Possum. Ugh. Let me tell you about a podcast called Southern Gothic. Ooh. It's a dark history podcast that's right up our alley. It explores old legends, mysteries, historic true crime, and ghost stories of the American South. That sounds really cool. Love it. Do you remember when we visited New Orleans and we did like four things and three of them were like dark history or cemetery tours? Yes, we love that stuff. We could have just stayed home and listened to this podcast. Oh, good. No more vacations in our future. (laughs) We just need to sit home and press play. Yes. They've got a three-part exploration of New Orleans' most famous legends from its time as a French and Spanish colony. Yes. 
Southern Gothic is produced by siblings Brienne and Brandon Schexenider. Brienne's a professionally trained archivist, and she does the research. And Brandon is the host, and he's also an audio engineer. So the podcast weaves in narrative Southern storytelling with immersive sound design. Ooh, I want to hear what this sounds like. Yes, yes. Um, there's an episode on our old friend, the Bell Witch of Tennessee. Yes. That Andrew Jackson allegedly tousled with. Um, <laughs> And there's an episode called The Greenbrier Ghost that's about a West Virginia woman who became the first ghost to help convict her killer in court. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait. I can't wait to play this. Now, if y'all are ready to head on out to the swamp and give Southern Gothic a listen, head over to southerngothicmedia.com slash follow for links to all of your favorite podcast apps. That's southerngothicmedia.com slash follow. That is, if you dare. <laughs> I dare. Let's dare together. I, I dare together. So act two, promoting the possum. Okay. Let's talk about Susie Allgood. Well, she's all good, so. <laughs> she was from a wealthy Georgia family, very prominent in social circles. Her husband, DeForest Allgood, he owned one of the biggest cotton mills in the country. And he was the richest man in the county. Alrighty. But in 1890, DeForest had been murdered by his, by his own brother-in-law. Holy shit. In a bizarre business feud. That's another episode. <laughs> There's a lot going on. It was, it was almost, it was like a drive-by shooting, except uh, he was on a carriage. Anyway, there was, wow. a, there was a huge trial, and the brother-in-law was acquitted. Okay, even though he did it. Right. But basically, it was a situation where he said, DeForest was going to kill me. Like, he had it in for me. I was defending myself. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, driving by on a carriage and shooting somebody, it's kind of hard to make that argument. But, you know, <laughs> different time. Yeah. This left Susie Allgood to raise her two sons. After one of them died very young, it was just her and her five-year-old son, Andy. Susie, Little Andy. Yeah. Susie had a history of pouring herself 100% into causes dear to her heart. During the Spanish-American War in 1898, she raised a lot of money for a military hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, she volunteered much of her time there, feeding and comforting the soldiers. Uh, the Atlanta Constitution said that the queenly and womanly Mrs. Allgood had known sorrow and the sorrow of losing a child. Mm-hmm. And that because of that, she was able to sympathize with mothers grieving for their sons and provide them comfort. Queenly, wow. Yeah. This is Southern aristocracy. Yeah. yeah. In 1909... When our story takes place, Susie was still a prominent figure on the Georgia social scene. She split her time between Georgia and New York City, where her son, who now preferred to be called Andrew, was 24 years old. (laughs) Stop calling me Andy. (laughs) Andrew was a Wall Street stockbroker. (sighs) I'm Van Damme now. (laughs) (laughs) This is when she found another cause to pour herself into. Forming a company to manufacture Billy Possums. Wow, out of all the things she has committed her life to, this seems like an odd one. She felt a calling. Uh, It's a very strange calling, (laughs) comparatively, to other things she's chosen, which tend to be, like, related to caregiving. (laughs) In her defense, I don't believe there were any Spanish-American wars going on at this time. Okay, so So, she didn't choose the possum over helping wounded heroes. Not that I know of. But at the same time, in in 1898, I don't know if she had the idea to make Billy Possum. So who knows what might have happened if these things coincided. We can't really know her priorities. No, no, we can't. It's hard to see. (laughs) It's hard to know a woman named All Good. (laughs) (laughs) The Possum Banquet was on January 15th, 
And on January 17th, Susie Allgood went to Washington, D.C. to meet with a patent attorney about Billy Possum and her brand new Georgia Billy Possum Company. She was the organizer, president, and principal stockholder, and her son Andrew was the secretary. On that same day, the minor Billy Possum Company also applied for a patent in D.C. as well. I'm confused. What? So there's a major and minor? No, there's the Georgia Billy Possum Company that is Susie Allgood's endeavor. Mm-hmm. And then there's this guy, Jack Minor and oh, Minor. his brother or something, okay. who are also trying to launch their own Billy Possum Company. I see. There was real competition to be on the cutting edge of the successor to the teddy bear. Wow. But there was one thing that the Minor Billy Possum Company didn't have, and that was the passion of Susie Allgood. She used every bit of her prominent social stature to make a splash, using herself as the subject of articles that were really thinly veiled advertisements for the Billy Possum. Oh, yeah. Like what? I'm sure you have some listed there. Here, take this. All right. I'm taking it. The woman who heads the concern that manufactures Georgia Billy Possums is, as she proclaims herself, just a plain Georgia cracker. But in reality, (laughs) she is Mrs. DeForest Allgood, one of the best known women in the state, a prominent social leader a beautiful woman, and a woman of means. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm 90% sure that Susie wrote that whole thing herself, uh-huh. like a press release. She called herself a cracker. That's really <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um, I think, though, that it would sound a lot better in first person. Okay. So let me show you, all right? All right. I'm just a plain Georgia cracker. While you're doing this. But in reality, I am Mrs. DeForest Allgood, <laughs> one of the best known women in the state. A prominent social leader, a beautiful woman, and a woman of means. <laughs> wow, you went, you dove right in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like it was a, a mix of like Blanche from the Golden Girls and that, that uh, psychotic creeper dude from Prison Break. Yes. There was, your voice got deeper, like even deeper and lower, but with an act. It was very confusing, <laughs> but well done. Thank you. Thank you. Seeing it like was a whole thing. I'm sorry. I have, you a, had to I have a new visual in my head of you that I've never thought I'd have. Wow. All right. Well, you know. <laughs> I'll, put, tr- I'll cherish it. We'll put a pin on that. <laughs> no, it'll, can, it'll be cherished. We can revisit whenever you. Um, <laughs> whenever I need to. <laughs> so Susie Allgood, she set up an office in the Flatiron Building in New York. She got two manufacturers set up to crank out these possums. She even had live possums sent to the factories so the designers could study them in cages. That's so gross. Yeah. She believed she was making Billy possums to supply the eager demands of the children of the nation. Oh, I don't know. I can't even picture a stuffed possum in a way that would be, you know, accepted by a child. (laughs) Huh. Just cozying up to a long tail and claws <laughs> to sharp teeth and beady eyes. Like, you know, what cats, is comforting about that? Cats have long tails. Dogs sometimes have long tails. Yeah, but cats have a cute disposition and fuzzy face mm. in a cute way. They don't have beady eyes. They have cute ears, cute eyes, cute little whiskers. Possums have long wolf-like snouts on a rodent body. <laughs> and their eyes are are red they're red yeah i know i know it's gonna be okay you say that but so Susie allgood and reporters across the country were determined to create demand for this toy it was declared throughout the land that the teddy bear was out and the billy possum was in it's a strange feat to try to create a demand usually you want to invent something and make something because there is a demand or a need for it but this they're, they're trying to 
make everyone believe they need a stuffed beady-eyed possum toy. It was a very commercial endeavor, for sure. Interesting. Like we talked about last episode, the teddy bear was big business. Mm -hmm. And these were people who were trying to cash in on a version of that that they could own. There was even a poem in 1909 called The Passing of Teddy by Erna Gunther. Here's a little bit of it. Teddy's out of fashion, and now he's cast away. It's little Billy Possum with which the children play. Teddy's in the corner, freezing in the cold, and he thinks it's awful to be so torn and old. Teddy was the little pet of all the girls and boys. He used to be the main thing of all their dolls and toys. He used to go out walking with children large and small, but now he's in the corner with his face against the wall. That's a talented poet right there. Yeah. Um, It's sad to me that the teddy bear suffered the same fate as the guy at the end of the Blair Witch Project, standing in the corner of that creepy basement. God knows why. That, and we'll never know. We'll never know. Such is the power of the Billy Possum. Wow. Yeah. I have to hand it to Susie Allgood. She really made the idea of Billy Possum happen. Her name and the name Billy Possum were everywhere in January 1909. But I, I have to question her marketing plan. First off, I was not prepared for the level of flagrant, nonchalant racism that accompanied the press around Billy Possum. Oh, wow. Shortly after the famous Possum Dinner, a woman named Mary Brent Whiteside wrote a book called Bill Possum, His Book. This is, this is separate from Susie Alga. This is just another woman in Georgia who thought, uh, this guy eating this thing, it inspires me. <laughs> I'm going to write a book on this. Yes. The book is dedicated to President Taft, a modest memento of his visit to Atlanta. Uh, and the cover has a William Howard Taft-shaped possum golfing. It's adorable. <laughs> Except, you know how... You know how Song of the South, the Disney movie, is like something Disney doesn't want to talk about, how it's never going to be on Disney Plus? Right. Well, Bill Possum, his book, is like that, but worse. It's written in the tradition of the Uncle Remus stories that Song of the South was based on. Mm -hmm. Um, Storytelling animal folktales written phonetically in a Deep South Black dialect. Mm -hmm. In an advertisement for the book, the author explains why she made that choice. She says that Bill Possum is humanized and of course talks that way because the possum language translated into speech naturally takes the form of the Negro dialect. For between the Negro and the possum exists oh a God. peculiar affinity which like to the white man is unknown and unattainable. Oh, God. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. But that's not Susie Algood. That was this other woman. I mean, that is so not Okay. <laughs> so inappropriate it's not it is you're you were correct um i'm just i it's so blatant it's really it makes my stomach churn it's, it's real bad you open the book on the first page you're not oh you're not expecting to see the n-word there what? but it's there yeah newspapers at the time talking about possums and then all of a sudden bam it's it's just it, it is when was the what years was the jim crow era um, it seems like it was it was after the Civil War. It was like after Reconstruction. So the 1870s up through like the 1950s, up through almost the Civil okay, Rights Movement. Okay, so still movement. lingering. Oh, yeah. It's big. It's big right now. 1909. Oh, yeah. Okay. But that, like I said, that's Mary. What's her face? Not all good. That's not all good. That's Mary <laughs> Brent Whiteside. Whiteside. Yeah. These names. I know. I'd like to say that Mrs. Susie Allgood distanced herself and her stuffed Billy Possum toy from this racist connection to possums. 
But that's not what happened. Oh, she leaned in. She leaned she, in hard. She, Probably because all publicity is good publicity in her eyes. Yeah. And How did she lean in hard? This is so upsetting. She wanted to publish her own book of Billy Possum Rhymes, and she enlisted the help of her friend Leonora Martin, a poet. An article from February of 1909, it talks about Susie's ambitious plans for the book, and it says the book will be illustrated with photographs of typical Southern Negroes and possums. So Susie Allgood and Leonora Martin, they got together, and Martin said that they had some unique experiences touring around the country in the neighborhood of Atlanta looking for typical Negro types and for possums. Did they they find any... Girls trip! I know. Did they... they, Mission accomplished? Um, There's one now! (laughs) Get your cameras! There were some photographs taken that I think were published in newspapers, but to my knowledge, the book never manifested itself okay um, it but says, you found it i found newspaper articles talking about oh, okay it. yeah this was all it was all promotion it was all the sizzle and not right. the steak the sizzle yeah i just have to i just have to remember like there's nothing i can do to change what happened no no and it's like i mean this it was just this casual at least uh, apparently non-violent nonchalant racism yeah and i think that's still prevalent unfortunately i think that's what's sickening is it's just not it's not gone yet it's well newspapers newspapers at least today i leave the ones i see (laughs) they don't say stuff like the pictures are said to be excellent examples of the old time n-word and it is likely the book will create no little comment especially in the north and east so it's like they knew that this might i don't know be offensive to yeah. the north and the east. Um, so I, I don't know if that was part of the, the plan. Like her, her plan to sell stuffed animals, her market differentiator is to be racist. I, I like don't. Controversially racist. That's, I can't imagine that's how you sell toys. No, I wouldn't think so. But it just seems a little bit sec- second nature. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, that's what's so gross. So yeah. it's, it's probably for the best that that book wasn't published. It yeah. sounds like it. Now, not all of Susie's marketing ideas were bad in every way. She was actually pretty innovative when it came to influencer marketing. Mm, The first influencer. Nowadays, you know, that means like getting someone with a huge Instagram following to use your bronzer or whatever. But then it meant something different for Susie. Okay. This was before social media and TV and even radio. The biggest stars were on Broadway. And the biggest Broadway star at the time was Anna Held. Uh-huh. Anna was the inspiration for Ziegfeld's Follies. Uh. She was discovered by Florence Ziegfeld. Um, she married him for years. She was what? <laughs> she was married to him for years. That okay. Um, <laughs> Before she murdered him. Yes, no. She was as famous for her onstage risque songs as she was for her offstage behavior. A lot of it drummed up as publicity and might not have been true. Like, there's a story that she had ribs removed to attain her hourglass figure or that she bathed in 40 gallons of milk a day for her complexion. (laughs) Yeah. But she was a big deal. And at the time, one of her songs in the show she was in was I've Lost My Little Brown Bear. Susie smelled an opportunity. I'm grimacing. And arranged for Anna in the last verse to bring out a live possum on stage. What better way to say, take your bow, teddy bear. It's time for Billy Possum. And it wasn't just Anna Held. Possums had infested musical numbers all along Broadway. One newspaper reported that the same wonderfully catchy possums act has been arranged by Mrs. Allgood to be done at several theaters in New York City. 
and the town is positively possum mad or oh playing possum. Oh my god! Yeah, possum, possum, possum. I can't. I can't. This is so weird. It was a real it's crazy so possums. strange to me. <laughs> possums used to be like fifty cents a possum. There was a time during this craze that they were ten dollars to eat a possum. So, which is the price of the banquet ticket. Yeah. So, can you think of anything today that compares to this type of craze that would seem odd from an outsider point of view? Like, we're looking into this possum moment in history. Is there anything that we can compare this to today? Because I'm having trouble believing any of this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for a children's toy to be be even on Broadway... It no, doesn't I, even need to be the children's toy I industry. About, I just, anything. I think about things like crypto, where it's like, oh, everybody's talking about crypto and all these celebrities are talking about this. And then it, it kind of falls apart, maybe. Um, that's something I'm on the outside of. Yeah. But it does seem like a fad where suddenly you're getting these famous people to talk about it and get you to buy into something. And you're like, it's a possum. But <laughs> um, so that's the only thing that comes to mind. But there have probably been things that were pushed maybe so well that we didn't realize it. Right. I'm and, trying to think you know, of like how an outsider might look at certain things that may have emerged in our lifetime. And I, I just can't think of anything. Well, I think about stuff like Pet Rocks. It's like dumb, but somebody made a lot of money. So that's why I can't hold this against <laughs> this seems the bigger. too much. This seems bigger than that. It is. It's, the possums were by and large larger than a yeah. Pet Rock. <laughs> um, You know what I mean, though? Yes, yes. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, now, this is where things, for me, go off the rails. If they haven't gone off the rails for you yet? Not yet. <laughs> oh, they're about to. Um, I'm scared. <laughs> there was another effort by the All Goods to drum up some Broadway publicity. And it involved the chorus girls from a show called Queen of the Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. That show played for, I think, five months on Broadway. And it was known for being risque. Mm-hmm. It had songs like Telegraph Me. <laughs> the Pleasure Brigade. Oh, wow. Won't you take me there? <laughs> and my. Fa- oh, I'll take you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't be nervous. Okay. <laughs> My favorite, performed by the inspector and the chorus girls, was the song, (laughs) Take That Off Too. (laughs) So I don't know if this was like a... You can leave your hat on. Yeah, but yeah, take that off too. Um, It sounds like a 1900s strip search Broadway musical. Um, But here's what happened. And I, I have so many questions. 
I'm just going to read to you exactly what was reported. And maybe we can figure this out together. Okay. Reported about the Broadway show? Reported about this promotional effort. Okay. So this appeared in several papers, but the best headline might be, Possum meat am good to eat, say girly sweet. (laughs) Sorry, I've been having a lot of reflux on this episode, and I apologize. There's so many gross elements (laughs) I'm trying to tolerate. Byline New York, February 24th. President-elect Taft's love for possum meat has so much aroused the curiosity and tried the appetites of Queen of the Moulin Rouge chorus girls that they indulged in a real possum party given by Miss May Madden of that company at the King Edward Hotel. Andy Allgood, formerly of Atlanta, Georgia, now a Wall Street broker, presented Miss Madden with two live possums while two dozen were slaughtered for the feast. Ugh. First... The Broadway girls indulged in a pickled possum as an appetizer, then came possum soup, next roast possum, and wound up with possum pudding sweetened with apricots. Oh my god. So I'm on board with all of that. I'm this, not on board with any of this that. This last part is what I need help with. I'm you're you Okay. You're tolerating all of that? Yeah. Possum pudding? You know, hey. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I can't get on board with any of that, but go ahead. What can't you tolerate? I'll try anything once. Um, <laughs> okay, so here we go. Miss Vera Rundell acted as godmother to Billy Possum at the christening party. Wait, which, what? <laughs> which preceded the supper. The baptismal font being a large punch bowl filled with champagne into which the little animals were dipped. Wait, so the actual possums that were eaten were baptized in a punch bowl first? Or are you saying the toys, there was a toy that was baptized in a punch bowl? I don't know. Read it again. The baptismal font being a large punch bowl filled with champagne into which the little animals were dipped. So there's multiple animals. Oh, maybe just two. Maybe these are the two live possums and they were baptized in champagne. There's one more sentence. Were they baby possums? I have a lot of questions. There's so many questions. Here's the the final sentence. Tom Ryler, as godfather of the pair. So there's a godfather. T- and maybe there's just two oh, possums. So there's two th- of the pair of possums. Okay, this is really working. I didn't think we'd be able to work okay. anything out together. Just like, you know. Maybe you just needed to read more carefully. I, Sounds like the answers were there for you. And this is a didn't read the directions situation. Wow. wow. <laughs> um, Tom Ryler, as godfather of the pair, led the kissing party. Wait, what? And by the time... The is there l- kissing parties and baptisms? Is that a Baptist baptism thing? Um, I understand that you're Jewish, and that <laughs> no, you might I mean... <laughs> really wonder that. No, just like at a wedding, everyone like shakes hands with the bride and groom as they go. To, it's like a line of some kind. Is this like that? But like a kissing line? I, not to my knowledge. So um, what the hell's a kissing part? We're... I don't know. You think that this makes sense, but this doesn't make sense. Okay. Okay. Tom Ryler as Godfather <laughs> I'll of the pair. That. <laughs> led the kissing party, and by the time the last Moulin Rouge girl had paid her respects, the possums laid down and played possum. That's cute. So it sounds like the kissing party is a thing. Like all the Moulin Rouge girls, everyone who was present at this, the possums' baptism, it sounds like they all kissed the bap- the the possums. Maybe. I, I, that, maybe that's what it is. Maybe strange advertising was just part of the times. Maybe it's strange to you, but wasn't strange to them. I feel like it, I, it must have been. I don't know who at this possum orgy might leave the experience thinking, <laughs> I need to buy a stuffed toy possum. <laughs> 
Well, to I mean, if I was a Ziegfeld girl or whatever, in a kissing line with pot, I mean, I might have to buy one just to remember that night. Maybe, maybe like they as were a just memento. trying to sell it to these chorus girls, <laughs> you know. And then they take them home and <laughs> they show all their, you know, their misters. Yeah, all the misters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I'm getting a sense of the differences between Susie and her son Andrew or Andy. Um. Like, Susie's putting out press releases. and Susie Allgood? Yeah, Susie Allgood. She's putting out press releases. She's awkwardly asking every black person in Georgia about possums. But here's here's poor little Andy, like the little wolf pup of Wall Street. He's just trying to get some PR for Mama Susie's stuffed animal business while also trying to get some from these chorus girls. But <laughs> seriously, I don't know who's kissing who. I don't know if they're kissing the possums. I don't know if this is a normal part of a christening. Well, maybe someone um, can let us know if in a baptism there's a kissing party where everyone kisses the child. I don't think anybody can tell me why these possums were being baptized. <laughs> no one can tell you that. And who's leaving these eyes wide shut barbecue thinking I need to buy a Billy Possum to remember this night? <laughs> I asked Twitter what the hell was going on here. Um, and a historian, Sonny Stalter-Pace, oh said the kissing party was probably like spin the bottle. Oh. And with the, the possum somehow, though. I don't spin the possum. I don't know. <laughs> but he, How does she know that? She's a historian of the era. And she said okay. the whole thing was decadent and random, but about right for Broadway in this era. Okay. So a chorus girl kissing party with a champagne possum baptism. That's not, about right. That's not abnormal. That's about okay, right. So it all sounded good to her. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Sonny. Um, suddenly <laughs> Thanks I'm, for clearing that up. <laughs> I'm much more interested in Broadway history than ever before. <laughs> <sighs> this brings us to act three, our final act, to dream the impossible dream. Oh, you did that. <laughs> Almost as soon as it was launched, Billy Possum found himself in court. Oh, wow. So is this the act where I get to open this manila envelope in front of me that says do not open? Um, We will get to that. Okay. Yes. yes. Just don't want you to forget. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> Billy Possum was in court because the Allgoods had a contract with a man named Harry Nadler, who ran the Columbia Teddy Bear Manufacturing Company. This contract said that Nadler would manufacture Billy Possums exclusively for the Georgia Billy Possum Company. But they found out that Nadler was selling stuffed possums to other folks. <laughs> so they took him to court and they stopped him from manufacturing or selling any more possums. No possums for Nadler. No, but this is one of their only suppliers. So what do they do? This Nadler guy, he had a history of bankruptcies. He owed a lot of people a lot of money. Why would they go into business with this guy in the first place? They're in like, a hurry. When you're in a hurry like to make <laughs> possums, there's some questions that you just don't get to. <laughs> Like looking at someone's background check. Yeah. Before you have them manufacture your product. Yes. Um, Seems questions like a like, grave mistake. Can I trust you? <laughs> questions like, have you had previous trouble with the law? Yeah. Are you bankrupt? So I'm not saying that his money troubles somehow played into what happened on April 1st, 1909. But if I were a cop or an insurance fraud investigator, I might follow the money. Because it was on that night that about 100 children in Greenwich Village ran to witness a surreal sight and grabbed themselves a souvenir. Oh my gosh. That's the night it rained teddy bears. Where did it rain from? So imagine if you will, teddy bears and, Bi and Billy Possums falling from the sky. Both of them, not just teddy bears? Both. Some of them scorched, some soaking wet, some maybe even on fire. What? Flaming furry meteors soaring through the air until they hit the pavement and screamed. Oh, because yeah, they had squeakers. Oh God. Yeah. 
So did they fall from a blimp? What is <laughs> no. happening? This is what the children saw as the Columbia Teddy Bear Manufacturing Company's headquarters on the sixth floor of 171 Wooster Street went up in flames. Oh my God. To fight the flames in the building, the firefighters had to clear the floor of all these boxes of stuffed animals. And they did that by throwing the contents onto the crowded street six floors below. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. Maybe I can help. Okay. Maybe. Nadler still had a lot of possums, apparently. Is this his building? This is his company, yes. Okay. So his company, Mm -hmm. not allowed to sell possums anymore. Nope. Went up in flames somehow, mysteriously. Yep, yep, yep. Was there insurance money to be had? I couldn't find that much out. Oh, but you did look. Well, yeah. I, okay. I, looked at, I looked at what I could find. And then it's raining down. So the children run to flaming stuffed animals, including the teddy bear. Now, falling they, from the sky. Were the ones that flew out of the window on fire? I don't know. Maybe I, I just hoped. But <laughs> they certainly were like scorched and some of them were wet. And, mm-hmm, you know, some sure. of them were probably in good shape. So, yeah, it was like, a, you know, somebody hit a big pinata of teddy bears and, wow. and Billy Possums. It's hard to say what role this played in Billy Possum's downfall or the business partnership going down in flames, but I'd like to think that nothing can keep a good product down. (laughs) So the question is, was the Billy Possum a good product? It doesn't sound like it. It came in three sizes. Life size. Oh my God. Which I hope refers to the possum and not the child. That's both. Both are bad. (laughs) Medium and four inches. Four inches. Which only tells us that the medium and life size must be bigger than four inches. So four inches is like a figurine. Something like that. Or baby, maybe. It had had soft fur, a nice long tail. Oh, gross. A smile. And it made a noise when you squeezed it, like like a real possum. Oh, I, I just don't like it. So did the kids love it? No. I understand why you might think that. And that's because you have some personal hang-ups about possums. <laughs> You have to put. Did your you personal... write that down? Yes. You, you. How did you know that? It's right under uh, the parentheses that says Jess's reaction. <laughs> <laughs> how did you know they were going to be personal hangups? Um, because I know you. <laughs> if, I've been married to you for ten years. I, you think I don't know how you feel about possums? <laughs> you know. Well, I don't know. I didn't realize I talked about it so much. We've been talking about possums since before we got together. As you said. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it's very fortuitous that I'm we're just, doing this episode. Yes, I'm just saying you should put your personal feelings aside because that's what I'm doing. My personal opinions of possums don't matter. What matters are the facts. The facts are that possums clearly don't belong in this dimension. Or on this planet. Like, come on, they're marsupials. They have pouches, I think, like kangaroos. I don't, I don't even know. It's gross. They share a common ancestor with kangaroos and koalas. But at some point, they split ways. And one of them was like, I'm going to go hop and jump and woohoo. And another was like, I'm going to chill and eat eucalyptus leaves and look cute as hell. And possums were like, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to do the opposite. We're super creepy and we might be dead. (laughs) When I picture possums, I picture like the night vision photos of them where their eyes are all glowy like an alien or some kind of sleep paralysis demon. (laughs) I'm not I'm not drawn to them is what I'm saying. That's my personal opinion or fact. (laughs) 
I think it's um, pretty factual. I don't know anyone who really likes possums. Even I feel like researchers who study them aren't going to be like, oh, I love possums. We're going to hear from people now that you said that. I, who likes possums? I want to know mail. you. I want to know you. <laughs> Do you? I, I would like to know. Wanna, we want to know of you. Where that. Getting to know you and the other things you like. <laughs> I don't know. No, I would like to know what kind of person likes a possum. Okay. Um, so if you like a possum a lot, uh, reach out to us and let I would us like know, to know why. Let us know what kind of person you are. <laughs> I just want to know why. Yes, I think it does come back to personal experiences. I've been hissed at by a possum who yeah. was coming at me slowly in slow motion, but kind of like the girl from the ring where she kind of jerks as she moves yeah. in slow motion. That's how this possum was moving towards me, hissing. So I find them to be slightly terrifying but also connected to childhood horrors. Um, like the rodent from Princess Bride. Okay. I feel like that's happened to everyone. I, I feel like th- everyone has an experience where a possum has slowly approached them hissing. And maybe, maybe it's just us. Well, then if everyone's had this experience, why has it only happened to me once? If Everybody it's so gets com- one. Everyone gets one. Because why is it so common? <laughs> oh, gosh. And once they get you, they're done. I just, it was not normal. <laughs> I, I get it. I'm not drawn to possums, okay, is what I'm saying. But then again... I don't want them anywhere near me. I've never tasted one. Uh, see, this is what... Chur- so the racism and then the eating the possum is really what's making me sick. Bucket list. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> You're on your own on that one. Good luck. We we may not be on our own, but what I found out <laughs> is that our personal feelings, they were not shared by everyone. Mm-hmm. I found one article from 1911 in the Baltimore Sun called the best gift I ever received. And this is where children had written into the newspaper to share their best gift ever. Nine-year-old Gertrude Rieger wrote this. Gertrude Rieger has a needs love, (laughs) you know, in her life. And that's probably why she wrote whatever you're about to read. My best gift was a Billy Possum. Not a live one, but he looks like he is alive. He is made out of real possum fur. Oh, he is only stuffed with straw. This poor child stuffed with straw. But he acts sometimes like he really is alive. What? Once I hunted everywhere and could not find him. At last I saw him on father's bookcase. It was so high that father had to get him down. No one put him up there. So he must have got there himself. <laughs> I told Billy not How to How old do is this child? Nine. Nine-year-old. You think a nine-year-old would, I mean... She's not the brightest <laughs> in the shed. Gertrude Rigger went on to become a teacher. Are you serious? She did. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know what that proves. I, I mean, don't I love know teachers. what that. I, mean, I do love teachers. Yeah. I didn't see that she won any awards. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> she so wasn't an award winning teacher. Maybe not. Um, and then she says, I told Billy not to do that anymore. <laughs> Last Christmas, after Santa Claus trimmed my Christmas tree, Billy jumped up in it. He is a dear thing, I think. Oh, yes. He is a darling thing indeed. (laughs) I sometimes hold him by the tail. Sometimes I put him in my doll carriage and wheel him. I love Billy. I am nine nine years old. How are you holding a straight face while reading this is my question. (laughs) I am nine years old. I will be in class 4A this fall. Gertrude Rieger, Elkins, West Virginia. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's... 
delightful yeah. on so many levels besides it being a possum. Little Gertrude loved her Billy Possum, <laughs> which sounds... It sounds her like, parents knew that and they put it in the tree. It sounds like it was an early version of Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> it kind of does, except for that time her dad was like, I can't take this thing anymore and put it on top of his bookcase. Um, I mean, I hope that's what was going on because that's the least terrifying explanation I can come up with anyway. <laughs> um, so Gertrude, she may have been alone in her love for Billy. Because despite the high hopes of Susie Allgood, the toy was, I am sorry to say, not a success. That does not surprise me. I'm glad Gertrude got hers before they went out of business and went up in flames, literally and figuratively. I'm not even sure that she got hers from any of these manufacturing companies. Like this could have been like some homemade taxidermy thing. I don't know. I don't know. So... There was a lot of supply of these possums. They thought it was going to be a big success. They made a bunch of them. And that was a problem. Because the same month as the fire, some places were giving them away. Mm. So why wasn't there the expected demand for this stuffed toy? Because they are disgusting. Taft himself, he was pretty popular. And it wasn't a quality thing. Because remember Marguerite Steiff and the Steiff Company? Yes. That made the original teddy bears in Germany? Yes. She got in on the possum game, too. Really? Yeah. When do I get to open this envelope? Is it a picture of the billy possum? No, but I'm about to text you a picture. Of Of a billy possum? Of a Steiff billy possum, which is probably the highest quality billy possum that was ever made. Okay, let's see. This, I have to imagine, is the least disturbing billy possum made. It's better than I thought. Yeah. I think it's... It's cuter than I thought it would be. Yeah. That's real possum fur? I don't think that's real possum fur, no. No, no. it's not. I don't like it. Okay. All right. Yeah, even Stife quality possums weren't enough. It's one of those, like, you or imagine this. You're going into an antique vintage shop. Yes. All right. And, I'm picturing it. And you're walking down these musty, dusty hallways. Oh, yeah. I love it. Like lined with old books and figurines. And you turn the corner Mm -hmm. and there's like the doll section and the stuffed animal section. Okay, which is creepy anyway. Yeah, it's creepy anyway. And you see all these like half broken Victorian doll faces. Do do they sell those? Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, the wigs on the dolls and their stiff bodies as if the neck had been wrung and it was just play. Yeah. They all look like whatever happened to Baby Jane. What now? Betty Davis. Okay. She's all like... Keep your excitement to a minimum. All right. (laughs) And then next to it, you see like a taxidermed cat. (laughs) That's what this looks like. Okay. Like with a really gross rodent-like tail. But it's smiling, right? It's not really. It just has a little rodent mouth. But it's... It's not smiling. It's just the two little lines that make a rodent mouth. Okay. Its ears are okay. So why would children not want to pour their affection into a life-size growling representation of something that Taft once ate? One theory comes okay. to mind. Okay. Yeah, there's a few theories that come to mind. Well, here's one. <laughs> so there was immediate pushback against the Billy Possum for one particular reason. Just one day after the cartoonist Greg put out his Billy Possum cartoon that you know kind of started this idea, Yeah. one day later, a newspaper editor wrote, there is a lack of originality of the conception about the Billy Possum that may stand in the way of its popularity among a novelty-loving people. Okay. So it's the lack of originality. 
You know, the teddy bear was <laughs> lightning in a bottle, and you can't make lightning strike twice. Parents would try to give these toys to their children, but the discerning children simply found the toys too derivative. <laughs> Another theory about Billy's failure is the story behind him. So the teddy bear, he was linked to the story of Teddy Roosevelt showing pity for this poor, helpless bear. And even though that's not what happened, as we talked about in our last episode, mm-hmm. um, that's the story. And it resonated with people. And this is him like slaughtering and eating a possum. Yeah. The Billy Possum, it did not have a heartwarming origin, origin story. Origin story. No. Yeah. No. I see that. There might be one other reason, maybe one other reason that the Billy Possum failed. So one toy salesman in July 1909, he really summed it up when he was asked about the state of the toy industry. He said, ding those Billy Taft opossums. They don't go worth a cent. And we spent thousands of dollars on the chance they would be a hit. So what was the problem? He said, the kids won't stand for him. Looks too much like a rat is the complaint we get. Yeah, it does look like a rat. Um, I mean, maybe I should have said that in my descriptive story of the antique store. It does. It looks like a rat. Not a cat, a rat. Okay, so I'm no economist, which you already know if you've heard me attempt to explain anything related to Hamilton and (laughs) banking. But it seems to me that you've got a few things going on here to explain the failure. Number one. Quite a few things. Number one, (laughs) too much supply. Mm -hmm. Number two, no demand. (laughs) No, not at all. Except for little Gertrude, who may, looking back on it, may just have had a real possum living in her house. (laughs) They play dead, Gertie. It makes sense. (laughs) Number three. Okay, you. So too much supply, no demand. And oh yeah, they look like rats. Exactly. In New York City, you don't want to be cuddling with a rat. In New York City, these crimes are investigated by an elite unit. (laughs) And damn well should be. Special possum unit. Unit. Yeah, SPU. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. So the combination of those economic forces, it created the perfect storm of nobody wanting a Billy Possum. Yeah. The Billy Possum was a failure, at least in its physical form. But as an idea... As a representation of Taft, uh, Billy Possum stuck around for a little while in comics and postcards and other merchandise that didn't rely on a child's desire to hug it. There was a comic strip that ran for a few months in 1909, and it was all about the teddy bears violently attacking the Billy Possum for trying to take their place. This war made its way to postcards, too. One of my favorites. Well, okay. Why don't you open that? I can finally open this envelope that's been taunting me. Yes, open the envelope and turn it around. It's a real postcard. Holy, oh my God. Describe what you this see on the postcard. It's really gruesome. It's a gross, gross possum sitting in a high chair with a bib on. So like a baby possum maybe, but disgusting. Red tongue with a knife and cutlery in its hands, and it looks like it's about to cut into a, a cooked bear. What kind a, of cooked bear? A teddy bear. A teddy bear. And what does the caption say? Good eating here. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, and there's a sign behind the possum that says, special for today, roast teddy bear mountain house style. Wow. And what's on... Wow, it's actually... A postcard from 1911 with writing on it. Dear cousin. Yeah, I was lucky enough to find a, a really affordable one on eBay. And I can't wait to frame it. 
Please don't. Please don't frame this and put, oh my, put this what up. What are you and, talking about? I cannot be looking at this all the time. Just on the shelf. You can put this somewhere in a book or something. I don't know. I will talk about it. He needs we'll to talk see ab- the light of day. We will talk about it. You, it's the <laughs> Off the mic. You get it? Like Taft was eating this possum and now the possum is eating the teddy bear. It's like I know. It's brilliant. It is. Thank it, you. Thank you for recognizing its brilliance. I don't need to see it ever again though. But we can talk about that later off yeah. the mic. So I know you're wondering, whatever happened to Susie Allgood? What became of this woman whose dream of turning a joke into a business was crushed? I, I mean, I wasn't wondering that, but now I am. By 1910, the Billy Possum toy had, had faded away. Susie Allgood, she sold a bunch of land. She went off to Europe. The only mention of her in the papers in 1910, she pops up as a woman smuggler. Does she smuggle? <laughs> That's a good question to ask about anybody. You know, like, hey, I'm having a party. Can I bring my friend? Does she smuggle? <laughs> Did she put a billy possum in her anus <laughs> to smuggle it oh my god because <laughs> that's what this postcard could be this is that's the same to me it's like it might as well be if someone trying to smuggle a possum in their anus and you want to frame it dun dun can't with your spu <laughs> stop <laughs> you heard smuggling and you went right to like but this is a possum episode and you're bringing up a smuggler yes what else would they be smuggling she bought a bunch of fancy clothes in europe and when she came back to the States, she declared their value at customs, but she significantly undervalued them. Mm-hmm. So her clothes were seized and held for up to five months or something. It was all over the newspapers. But she tried to turn it around. She came out saying she was thinking about suing the government. She said it was the U.S. government's fault that she'd missed the winter season. And by the time she got the clothes back, they were out of style. I, I could care less about <laughs> her clothing issues. That's really Susie Allgood's story in a nutshell. Styles change quickly, but a stuffed possum would never be in fashion. No, and I can see why. So these stuffed toy possums, they were conceived of in January 1909, and it was so clear that they were a failure that they didn't even make it to the Christmas season that year. Wow, quick um, downfall. Yeah, I'm guessing that angry sales reps across the country had parties where they burned their excess inventory. (sighs) So in a very short time, you've gone from the first Billy Possum being presented to guest of honor President-elect Taft at this lavish Southern banquet, to Billy having a champagne baptism with the Rockettes at Studio 54, to being thrown (laughs) from a burning building and finally set aflame outside toy stores across America, probably. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. And that is the story of Billy Possum. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm relieved it didn't take off. I have to say that if it became really popular, that would disturb me even further. Maybe you'd be like, so used the, to it. Everything makes sense. No. <laughs> everything? All, no, not everything. But a lot. It makes sense that it wouldn't. And it's it feels good to have the world make sense a little bit at the end of this story. Mm. Is what I'm trying to say. I see what you mean. I want to give a shout out to a couple of generous new patrons. Oh, yes. Kathy, uh, you've been a longtime fan. Your comments on our stuff, it's always been so encouraging. We're so glad to have you as a part of our Patreon family. Thank you, Kathy, for joining. And James. James not only wrote a lovely review, but he reached out and he said that he was looking for a POTUS podcast. And he found ours. And he decided to give it a try at the start of a road trip. I so appreciate James. 1,200 miles later, he was still listening to us. And he became a supporter. I'm so honored by that. That's amazing. 
I mean, if I I feel like he knows us and we know him by now because we were in that car with him all that time. I, know. I feel like we went on a road trip we with him. We did. We did. That's special. Um, it reminds me when I when I was a young pup and I moved out to Los Angeles from Illinois. This was before podcasts were big. I downloaded a bunch of recordings of Loveline. <laughs> with Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew. Yeah, and now you know them well um, in your head. <laughs> well, I've listened to them for years before, but yeah. I, I burned those onto CDs and I mm-hmm. listened to them for a good chunk of the ride. Yeah. Because it was more engaging and conversational than music. Mm-hmm. Um, so to think that we provided that kind of entertainment to someone is is super flattering and mind-boggling. It was really delightful to hear that. Yes. So what did you send me now? Oh, yeah. Um, you Check out our brand new shirt. Oh, you didn't. Goodbye, teddy bear. Hello, Billy Possum. Oh, you didn't. At our merch shop. What do you think? What is it? Oh, its mouth is open. I see. Its mouth is is way open. That is terrifying. Don't you love it? I can't believe you did this. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I do love it. If I were to wear a shirt with a possum on it, I would wear this one. And that's what we're looking for. (laughs) You know. Next week, we've got an interview with Bob Crawford, the creator of the new podcast, Founding Son, John Quincy's America. Looking forward to this one. Yes. Thanks for plotting along. Thanks for plotting. Bye. I saw how you were going out, that possum, and I just want you to know you should be careful.